0: You'll be turning to First John chapter five, and uh, we had some really good songs, and I've I mentioned them to you before. How I'm I'm seeing a lot of First John in many of these songs. The uh, one wonderful grace of Jesus. I mean, that was that was a great song. First of all, it was upbeat, talking about the wonderful grace of Jesus. Uh, part of it was. Uh, Looking at uh, a sinner as I am, and yet he makes me his dear child. Uh, that, that was about the last verse there. And uh, it talks about how broad his grace is, broader than my transgressions. You know, sometimes we get into the music so much we, we don't listen to the words. Broader than my transgressions, uh, Jesus' grace is. And the book of 1 John, the letter of 1 John, is just full of all these things. Today, we're going to look at how to live joyfully. And, I, you know, as I think about that, if, if something really touches someone's heart, I mean, a, a lesson title that would touch your heart, it would be how to live joyfully. I'm not talking about sad touch, but I'm talking about that's something we want. We want to live joyful lives. And the Bible tells us that joy is fundamentally knowing the good that you have. It's not an emotion of happiness, but it's knowing the good that we have, knowing good stuff, the wonderful grace of Jesus. And when we know that, that's joy. Now, that joy can lead to a happy feeling. And that's a good thing. Not, there's nothing wrong with happy, having a happy feeling. But that's not the goal. That's a, a result of of having joy. And sometimes it's just how we I think when we have joy we can we can see life in a better perspective. We can have a sense of humor when we when things don't go our way. Uh, You know, we all bring to us in this assembly today there's some of you brought some sadness with you today. Some of you brought some happiness with you today. Some of you brought struggles with you. I shared last week, you know, my three of my grandchildren moved as far away as you can from my grandparents still stay in the United States. And so there's a sense of, you know, sadness there, but there's still joy in the midst of all that. You know, it's like there's, uh, I was looking down at First John 4.18, remind me of a, uh, a baker who was asked on a wedding cake, cake to put on there First John 4.18. And the you know, if you read that, if you look down, if you have your Bibles open there, it says perfect love drives out fear. There's no fear in love. And I guess the, the bride or whoever wanted people to look at that scripture and then go to it and go, oh, you know, how, how nice. Perfect love drives out fear. Well, the baker forgot the one First John, and just put John 4.18. You have had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your own. You know, sometimes you just got to roll with it. You know, you just got to laugh at at life. Things like that happen. And so we're going to look at how to live joyfully. If you looked at the subtitle, his commands are not burdensome. It's tied. Those things are tied together. You know, years ago, when I was... A a young child during the era of Jimmy Carter, (laughs) the child born again, Christian, the term born again, Christian became popular. I don't know if it was used a lot before then. I was like I said, I was quite young at that time. But Jimmy Carter was. And for some of you don't know history, he's one of our presidents, was one of our presidents. He um, he he claimed to be a, a born again Christian. And so that became a very popular term. Uh, but the idea came across that we have regular Christians, and then we have another kind that's called a born again Christian. But biblically, there's just one kind of Christian. All Christians are born anew or born again. We don't have special Christians that are called saints, and special Christians that are just regular, or, or other ones that are elite. There's only one time we're all born-again Christians. We're all saints. So the question that we looked at last week, we saw this title, Is Born of God, was what is a born-of-God Christian look like? What is a person who is born of God? What does that look like in a practical way? And the simple answer is, you look like your father. The one who is born of God looks like God, looks like his father. And so we began to look at the family likeness. We saw there was three ways, three different family likenesses, and that is love, belief or faith and obedience. And we see that in verse one and two. Whoever believes, there's the faith. And then everyone who loves the father loves the child as well. The end of that first verse. And this is how we know the love of God, that we carry out his commands, those who obey his commands. And so we see all three of these and these are the likeness this is how we display uh, our father's likeness. And every Christian, every born a new person, every person who is born of God has these three qualities and some in a very uh, immature, embryonic form, just barely you know, coming out. The faith is weak and young and but but begins to grow. And then some have a a maturity about them. You, you just you look at them and you see obedience and you see faith and you see love just kind of emanating from that person. You say, you know, that's that's the kind of that's my, what I want to be. I want to have that kind of love and obedience and faith. My sister sent me a devotional. Claudia sent me a devotional that she reads each day. And this one was on Monday after I preached and it it the title was obedience is an act of worship. And just spoke about the need to joyfully obey God. And I thought it it tied into what we said last week and it just ties into what we're going to say this week, too. But the scripture that was used in this particular uh, passage was uh, Psalms 119 and uh, verse 33 and 34. And I might have that on the screen. Let me see. Do I? Yes. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding and I will keep your law and obey it with all your heart. And I've referred to Psalms 119 several times. And if you read that, he uses the word in every line, in every verse. He uses a, a synonym. He uses a word or a synonym that means the law. Like here, to follow your decrees and sometimes it's your precepts and sometimes it's your teaching and sometimes it's your law. And we're going to look at obedience today, and that's why I'm pointing this out, is we follow God's laws, we follow God's decrees, and, and so on. And he says, teach me how to do it. I'll keep them to the end. The, uh, today's uh, Living Bible says it this way. Just tell me what to do, and I will do it, Lord. As long as I live, I'll wholeheartedly obey. And I thought it was a beautiful way of expressing that. You know, as our children grew up, And we've passed this on to our children and other uh, other people. One technique that we use to teach them how to obey is to have them memorize the three ways to obey. And to this very day, I could ask my children and maybe my grandchildren, what's the three ways to obey? Matthew, there you go. (laughs) You know it right away, all the way and happily. And we would have them memorized. And Ty, he knows that. And uh, Ayana, she knows that. We were driving in the truck the other day and we were taking her out to lunch. And I asked her, I said, Ayana, do you know the three ways to obey? Yes. What are they? Right away, all the way, and happily. And when we look at these three ways to obey, you know, this, this first one, right away. Our society is training us, the way the world trains us, is to ask why, rebelliously, all right? There's nothing wrong with asking the question why, but in a rebellious way, well, why should I? And in every area of authority, whether it's with your boss or teachers or police, you know, it's just part of our society to say, well, why? Why? Why should I? Instead of obeying right away. And the temptation comes over into our relationship with God. I mean, if God says to do something, well, why? Why should I? Instead of obeying right away. All the way. We taught partial obedience is partial disobedience, which is disobedience. And so maturity is learning how to obey completely. All the way. Just whatever is said, you know, go clean up your room doesn't mean push the toys under the bed like I used to do. My mother... I remember this vividly in New Zealand. Go clean up your room. And it was a disaster. I mean, there are toys everywhere. And I just knew as a little seven, eight-year-old kid, I'd be there all day long cleaning up my toys. So I just pushed them all under the bed and went out. And my mother said, "Alan, you've already cleaned up that room? Yeah, I have. And she opened up the door and there's nothing on the floor. And then I realized how smart my mother was. (laughs) She looked under the bed. That's the first thing she did. She said, get these toys out here and put them up where they belong. And didn't obey all the way, just part of the way. And then happily, obeying joyfully is another way of saying it. And continuing in Psalms 119, the very next verse, when we, we just read these, teach me, I will follow your, your decrees, I'll obey you wholeheartedly. He says, direct me in the paths, in the path of your commands. For there I find delight. I find joy. I find happiness in your commands. And the reason we find this that God's commands give us delight is because they're for our good. We need to realize that God's commands are there for our good. He created us. He knows how we he knows how we tick. He knows how we function. He gave us instructions on how to live. You know, when you encounter a disobedient child, Do you find them happy in general? Do disobedient children, are they happy children? Normally, they're insecure. They're unhappy. They're angry. They don't get along well with other people. Unlike that one little boy I heard pray, he said, oh, father, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it. I'm having a real good time just like I am. (laughs) But. That's that short lived, even when he was having a good time. That's a short lived happiness. You know, most children, when they're disobedient, they're unhappy. They're not getting well along with others. And that's the same with disobedient children of God. In general, when you have disobeyed God, have you found yourself happy? Maybe short term, maybe short term, a moment of happiness. But is your, can your life be uh, described as that's a happy person, that's a joyful person? Normally, when we're, on, when we're disobedient, our marriages are hurting. We're insecure in our relationship with God. We're often angry, upset. We don't get well along with others, do we, when we're disobedient to God? And so today we're going to look at God's commands And see how they're designed to help us. And if you think about it, what's the purpose of this letter? What's the very first purpose of this letter? I write this so that you may have joy. Um, You may have joy and have it to the full. Let's read verses 2 and 3 of chapter 5. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God. To obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. You know, as we read through this, through this whole book, we find that John he just kind of slides from one topic to another. Uh, He transitions somewhat gently into from here from love to commands. He he ties them together. It's kind of mixed all together, and we see this as his style. He as he transitions from one topic to the next. They're tied together in such a way that you, you hardly even realize what he's done. He just suddenly you've, you've gone from love and you're now you're into obeying his commands. And you realize that he's made a change. And the reason is because all these things are so interlocked, I think. And, and John has basically three subjects or you put four here and he pulls them together in such a way that he's there. You can almost start at any point in these and they all tie together. Let me give you the example. I I put it in this little diagram. Love, faith, and obedience is his three main topics. They keep going over and over in in this little letter. But you can start with obedience and go to love for God. You can go to faith and go. You can start with love for one another. And that's tied to how you have faith. Uh, You know, it's tied to your obedience. And you can see it um, right here in this uh, section here where he says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is born of God. And then everyone who loves the father, what, loves the child as well. And then he switches it around. This is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and obeying him, carrying out his commands. And so we see this circular uh, action, this circular teaching of, of John over and over. You know, when I think of the word command, I don't know about you, but when I think of the word command, I get the idea of kind of strict military obedience, a sergeant telling you what to do It's not pleasant to have someone in your face commanding you telling you what to do unless you're the commander. You know, then, it, then it's the other way around. But generally speaking, when we think of the word being commanded to do something, it implies a degree of harshness. And I think there's this inherited the way we the way we're fallen in our nature to have a disdain for commands, when we're commanded to do something, we have a resistance. As part of our flesh, as part of our our fallen nature, in how we take commands and really how we issue commands to others. Sometimes the way we issue commands to others, our fallen nature comes out in the way we do that. Talking about officers, as an officer came up to a soldier and said, uh, "Do you, have, uh, soldier, do you have change for a dollar?" And he said, "Yeah, sure, buddy." And he said, "That's not how you address an officer. Let's start again. How do you have change for a dollar?" And he says, "No, sir." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you're being commanded, you know, "No, sir,"s you're, you just, you just want to resist, don't you? You know, tell a child, "Don't." What do they do? They do it. Don't, and they do. I'll never forget. Matthew, at two years old, I found him with a um, paper clip. Two years old. He had that, I better not say this too, I'll have Michael my ear. And he's pushing it into the outlet. Don't, you know. And he's looking at me like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> what do you mean, don't? Well, of course, that's, that's just part of the way we are. We just, we resist don't. We resist no. We want to test it. And all of, all of you are thinking about your children and grandchildren when you said don't, and they did. You know, over in Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about God's commandments. And, and if you read the whole chapter, he talks about the, the commandments actually created in him and created in us a desire to do the very thing God said don't do. God said don't do this, and then it creates within us this desire to do it. And yet that very same chapter says this in verse six, we have been released from the law, the commands, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And then you come over to John here, first John, and he says, we keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. How do you harmonize those two? How do they fit together together? Paul is saying we don't basically says we don't follow the law. We've been released from it. We serve in a new way, and that is of the spirit, not the old way of the written code. And then John says we obey his commands. The commands of God, Paul, in his writing on the law, deals primarily with the keeping of the law in order to be saved. As you read through Galatians and Romans especially, he's basically saying here's the law and it's good. But if you try to live according to the law, it can't be done. You cannot be saved by keeping the law. The law, in fact, he says, helps us to show us how weak we are, how much we need God. Go ahead. Try and keep the law. Just try and keep the law in your attitudes and, and, and by the letter of the law. You find you can't do it. It's good. It's perfect. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. But its standard is of perfection and we fail, we can't keep it. John is saying we keep his commands not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. The law is good, and so you strive to do good. Because God has rebirthed us into a good family. His commands are perfect. And he has create recreated us, and we are now do you know that you are now perfect in Christ? Hebrews 10, 14, you've been made perfect. And so we look at this perfect law. And that's part of our guidance. We keep this perfect law. Again, we follow God's commands, not in order to be saved, but because we now see that this is the best way to live. Now, this is really hard to explain. All right. It's hard for me to for me to explain. Maybe you can explain it better. But when you look at the law and we say, as a Christian, now how do I, what, what am I supposed to do with it? I think part of us says, well, Paul says we don't have anything to do with the law. And we just kind of push it to the side. And then what, what does that leave us? Well, determine how we live, how? Number one is not a, de- a legalistic code. We all love lists. Lists to live by. Ten commands. If we can just get it down to ten commands. And yet this was the Pharisees' failings. They had this list of commands. They were in the Bible. The rules they were to, to, uh, to follow. And then they made rules to make sure they didn't break the commands. All right, what do you do with a command? Don't do this or do this. Well, you have to have a rule to help you keep the command. So for them, don't work on the Sabbath became don't carry a needle on the Sabbath if you're a seamstress, because that's a tool of your trade. And if you're a scribe, you wouldn't carry a pen with you because that's a tool of your trade. And so the Bible says don't work. And then they they began giving these different rules. Well, that means this and that means that. And then they began making other rules that helped them break the rules. All right, because it says take a, you, can, you can walk a Sabbath day journey, but what if on the Sabbath you wanted to go further? Well, you couldn't unless you knew how to break the rule. And the way you broke the rule is you brought something with you, like your smartphone or something you own, and you went a Sabbath day's journey, and then you put it down, and now you're able to go another Sabbath day journey because that's your home. That's part of you. And so you could travel just about as far as you wanted to. So you see the foolish, you know, we look at that and say, how foolish. But we do the same thing. This frustrated Jesus to the point that he said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 15, you're wonderful missionaries, sacrificing yourselves overseas to make a single convert. And the result, you make him twice as hellish as you are. That's a little bit of a paraphrase, but read it yourself. That's what he is saying. And this happens when we make the gospel center around ourselves and how well we are doing following the commands. So when we look at this and we say we carry out his commands, we then in our, in our mind say we, we switch to this man-centered go- gospel again and say, well, what do I need to do in order to keep these commands? What are the commands? Let me list them out. I shared with you when I was about 12 years old, I was like reading through the, um, the Bible and saying, You know, wouldn't it be so much simpler if we just had the 10 commands and I I can memorize 10, but what are the commands of the New Testament? And I started reading and I was getting getting into um, Matthew five, six and seven, just writing down everything that Jesus said, do this and don't do this. I was writing it down and I got discouraged by verse chapter seven or eight. I just quit. There was too many. There's more than 10. And so I just could. You just can't keep them all. You can't remember them all. This is the way of the flesh. This is what we struggle against. We're trying to please our feelings. I want to feel saved. If I feel right, if I feel like I'm keeping the commands, then I feel good. I feel, my, feel like my relationship with God is good. And so while I condemn the Pharisees for their pickiness and how they did it, there's a tendency to live just like them and to do the same thing in my life. You know, we strive to understand biblical examples and then follow the biblical examples as we read them. And then we have to determine well, which examples don't we follow, because there's a lot of examples. Well, we don't follow those examples. And then we talk about certain inferences in the Bible and which ones are necessary and which ones are not. The Bible infers certain things. And so we well, should we do that or should we not do that? And then which commands we should follow and which commands we should not follow. And some of you are scratching your head saying, I don't know what you're talking about. But some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know about all these different things and, the, and you've gone to the seminars and the, you've read some of the books and it just goes on and on and on to the point that I believe that the common person, the common Christian just feels left in the dust in all the arguments. And says, you know, if I have to be an expert in keeping God's commands, and if it's this complicated, I'll never make it. I just can't do it. And they either give up or they live on the fringes of the church and just hope they make it. And that's where a lot of people are. Just to be blunt and honest, that's where a lot of people are. They listen to the arguments that we have in keeping God's commands and how to and so and so, so on. And they are just left behind. Now, don't misunderstand. The Bible says here we keep his commands. But not to measure up to God. Not to see if I can measure up to God's standard. It's not to achieve a legalistic righteousness and say, look how well I'm doing. I'm keeping all these commands. Because that's always been condemned in the scriptures. So what's the purpose of the commands? Is to live. The way God created us to live. This is why I keep his commands, because God created me a certain way. And so I I say, this is what this is. This is the rule, the the instruction book on how to live. And so as I read through the scriptures, I start looking at at it in the way that God or Jesus wants me to look at it. Jesus and John both sums it, it up this way. They say, we can I can take all the commands of God and sum them up in two. And you know them. Jesus said that what are the two commands love God and love others that's it and John narrows that love others he says love your brothers and sisters and I think the reason is he's saying you just need to learn how to get along with each other and then we'll take care of the world but he says right now focus on loving your your brothers and your sisters. He goes on to say, you know, loving your brothers and sisters means loving God. Loving God means loving your brothers and sisters. He puts it both ways around. So what does that look like practically? What is all, all that I'm saying? What does it look, 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 look like in a practical way? What are the instructions, the commands, the precepts, the directions that God gives us and tells us what to do? When we begin to see God's commands as ways to love others and not ways of keeping saved. The whole scripture will just take on new light. You can open your Bible almost to any place and you can see this, how God instructs us in right living. Uh, turn, if you turn over to Romans chapter 12, I just just arbitrarily just opened up my Bible and started going just paging through it and said, what's an app? You know, what are some of the applications? And I came to Romans chapter 12 in Romans chapter 12, we take these and we look at them as legalistic rules that if you don't keep this, then you're in danger of hell. It's one way of looking at it. Or if you look at this as this is how I learn to love God and love others. I think it's just going to help you see the scripture in, a, in a, a different light. And I think a more biblical light. Let's look at some of these. Love must be sincere, he starts out. That's just basically what we've been talking about. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hate, oppose what is evil. Whatever is evil. How do you know what's evil? You Read your scripture, it'll start telling you what evil is. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Why would you honor someone above yourself? Because you love God. And you love that person. And so you honor them above yourself, not because well God said to do it, so I better do it. Otherwise, you no know, telling what's going to happen. You see the difference. You see the difference between doing it because well God said to do it, and I better do it, or I might be in danger of my salvation. You can live that way; that's fine. But I think it just it, it frees you when you say the reason I do this is because I love God. And the reason I do this is because I love other people. Never be lacking in zeal. Any of you ever been lacking in zeal this week? (laughs) Me. Never be lacking in zeal, he says. Okay, I've disobeyed that command. I'm in trouble. No. I look at that and say, you know, you know what my problem is? I don't love God like I should. I don't love others like I should. But keep your uh, spiritual uh, fervor serving the Lord. That's how I do it. That's how I get my zeal back. I don't sit around and just bemoan how things are and how how I'm feeling. But I go out and I serve the Lord and the zeal comes back. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Man, go throughout your life and there's this affliction all over the place. Be patient. And he says, why? Because I love God and because I love others. Be faithful in prayer. Why in the world should I pray? I've prayed for you over and over and you don't change. Be faithful in prayer. Why? Because you love God and because you love other people. Share with God's people who are in need. I don't want to do that <clears throat> because you love others and because you love God. Practice hospitality. Open up your homes. Bless those who persecute you. Do Bless and do not curse. Your whole flesh tells you to do the opposite. But because you love God and you love others, you do that. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Why go to these um, what are they, what do they call showers and 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 things like that 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 you know wedding showers and baby showers and is it baby showers baby whatever they are all right because you rejoice with us who rejoice. why go to the funerals and why go to the the visitations and think because you mourn with those who mourn because you love them live in harmony with each other do you see what my, these are all commands that 's my point. These are all commands. Why do you follow these commands? So you can have a list and say, I better do all these things or because you love God and you love others. You know, this is something a baby Christian can understand. Baby Christians have a hard time sorting out what we do and don't do when we make it too theological. But a baby Christian can look at this and say, you know, I don't have much in my house. I have two chairs and I have water to drink and crackers and I can practice hospitality because I can go get some peanut butter and say, come on over. I don't have to wait till I can do a big meal. I can do it right now. I can mourn with those who mourn. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position know, sometimes there's people lower than me, I don't want to associate, but I do it because I love God and I want to I want to please Him. And I do it because I love these people. And so I, I'm not going to be conceited. And I don't repay anyone evil for evil when someone does something wrong to me. I don't repay them evil for evil because I love them and I love God. You know you don't have to know the Greek. You don't have to have a theology degree to love, treasure, guard, obey these commands and to read them, just to open up your Bible and read them. And so he says they are not burdensome. These are not burdensome. And the word in this context means a heavy burden, something that's hard to carry. is a big weight on your shoulders. It can mean something that's irritating or irksome. Says, this is says, God's commands are not irksome. It's not irritating. God's commands are not irritating. Jesus used this same word when he said the Pharisees would tie up heavy burdens on others. But they wouldn't lift a finger to help them. And that's that same word that he uses here. And John says here, you know, God's commands are not hard to bear. They don't irk you. They don't bother you. They're not some list of things to remember that that becomes a burden to on our shoulders. But this is what they are. They're direction that gives life. It's direction that tells me how to live. And that's why they're not burdensome. Because when they are burdensome, and some of you thought, but sometimes they are, sometimes they do hurt me. And here's the reason when they do bother you it's because you're going against the tide. You're swimming upstream. You're swimming against God's direction of life. He says, look, here's the direction you go. Back when I was in high school, we had a a canoe. My dad put it. I helped my dad. I put quotes on that. My dad put a canoe uh, together in our living room uh, in the wintertime. That's what we did in a cold North Dakota winter. Built a canoe in our living room. Barely got it out of the house. (laughs) And then one, uh, we had a little river called Park River. We lived in the city of Park River. And it's, it was just a little creek in the summertime. But in the spring, when the snows melt, boy, the, it would just it was, a, it was a raging river. So my best friend and I took the canoe. I don't even know if my parents know about this. <laughs> we took the canoe one spring, and we decided we were going to go down the river. And we did. We had a grand time. Going down the river, uh, we were, you know, we almost we tipped it several times. But we were going down the river, and we went a long, long ways. And suddenly we said, you know, it's about time to turn around. And I learned a valuable lesson: <laughs> <laughs> you can't you can't paddle a canoe upstream in a raging river. We carried that heavy seventy-pound canoe through mud, and oh, it was it was a terrible thing. Almost abandoned it in the middle of a. Field, muddy field. But we carry that thing miles and miles. But, you know, going upstream, you know, that's, you know, going upstream in a canoe, swimming upstream. Where is you out? And that's that's what he's saying here. When you when you find God's commands irksome, when you find them burdensome, you need to ask yourself, why? Why is this happening to me? It's because I'm going upstream against the tide of God's love. God's love is telling me, look, go this direction, go this direction. And I'm fighting him. I'm fighting him over and over. God created us to live in love, not hate. God made us to thrive in peace, not turmoil. God made us to function in joy, not stress. And all his commands, just start reading them in this light. They lead us to a life of peace and joy and right living. And when we recognize this. Then we start finding out, you know, God's commands are a source of delight. They're not bothersome because they're teaching me how to live. And I can begin reading the Old Testament through, the, through this lens of God is teaching me how to love. and the New Testament, all these are God is teaching me how to live here. And when I read these things over and over, they'll say the light will come on and say, that's right. This is the way I've been made to live. This is where I find freedom in Christ because it fits. It fits. The point is this. Keeping God's commands in order to achieve salvation will always uh, leave you guessing whether you've done the right thing or not. Have I done the right thing? Have I not done the right thing? But looking at his commands and keeping them out of love for God and love for others will just help your faith grow. If you keep on reading a verse in, in um, Romans chapter 13, listen to this. Just fits in so perfectly. Let no debt rem- remain outstanding. It's verse 8 of chapter 13. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be can be summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. That's it. You boil it down to love, boil it down to love, and you fulfill the law. But that doesn't mean you. That you say, well, I only love. You, you begin looking at these other things that we do. And that's love written down in practical ways. Let me ask you this. How happy are you? How happy are you? If you're not happy, check your obedience. You know, if you're living your life in angst, in inner turmoil things are going on in your life and you, you just don't feel good about your walk with God. You're not a very happy person. I'm not talking about worldly happy. I'm talking about in your spirit walk. You're not happy. Probably you're not obeying God. That's probably where you are. If your marriage isn't what it should be, if your relationship with others isn't what it should be, if all these things in your life, if you're just feeling this inner something's going on, Check your obedience. That's where your problem may lie. And learn how to love others. And learn how to love God. Read Psalms 119. You want to read together right now? It's only 150 verses long. (laughs) Some of you are like, sure. But, you know, just read through Psalms 119. And just over and over. I mean, I'm just looking down. I didn't. This isn't in my note. Verse 41. May your unfailing love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I will answer the one who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And you can just keep on reading through the Psalms in this lens of loving God, loving others. For I delight in your commands. Verse 47. Because I love them. Learn how to love. Learn how to obey God. And your life will be full of joy. If we can help anyone in a public way, we're going to give you that opportunity, whatever.